Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're excited to be back on the air with you today. We're going to be talking about women in manufacturing. This is a two-part series for Manufacturing Talk Radio. So part one is today, and we're going to be talking about kind of the past and present of women in manufacturing. We have two very interesting guests with us, which I will introduce in a few moments after uh, I chat a moment with Lou, and he can give us an update on the postscript from last week's show and some news items that are floating around. Lou, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to the show. Uh, Last week's show was uh, about recruiting, retraining, and retaining, having to do with the skills gap uh, issue that exists here in this country. And we had several interesting people on. Uh, We had uh, uh, Gardner Carrick, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for the Manufacturing Institute, Mario Hernandez, president of the San Antonio Economic Development Foundation, and Gail Spack, prime contact from the Manufacturing New Jersey Talent Network, and also associate vice president for continuing professional education in New Jersey Institute of Technology. I have to ask for a raise. These titles are getting (laughs) too long. Uh, It was a terrific show. Uh, They really presented uh, some interesting facts and figures uh, about the skills gap and how many people were going to be missing uh, now and in the future uh, for manufacturing and and what to do about it. And I think the title of that show gives it away, Recruit, Retrain, and Retain, which is not easy to say three, four times in a row. Uh, I, all, I recommend that you all go and listen to that show. Um, regarding uh, our news for the day, um, this is a rather shocking one. A new report just came out that Americans are less satisfied with the quality of American-made cars. Uh, we produced over 16 million cars last year, and we had 64 million recalls. Uh, something is wrong with American quality in that whole concept. Um, seems to be most of it is electrical. What are we, English? Uh, the English always had problems with their electricity. Uh, but then again, we're the ones who had Thomas Edison and they didn't. Um, but it's, it's interesting and uh, it's somewhat alarming that the American uh, uh, auto buyer consumer is not happy with uh, the cars that are coming out, and this is something that the, the American automotive industry is taking a very serious look at. They're afraid that they're going to start losing business again to the European and Asian uh, car manufacturers. Um, next, we have um, Women in Manufacturing Summit 2015 is going to be in November, uh, November 23rd Se- to 20th. 20- I'm sorry? One of our guests will uh, we'll straighten us out on that. We'll straighten that to date. Um, <laughs> and it's all about, obviously, women in manufacturing, and that's what we're going to be talking about today as well. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot of insight into what the show, what their summit is all about. It is their fifth 
summit that they're having, and it's going to be in uh, Chile, Minnesota. I think it is in November, uh, but we'll find out in just a few moments. Uh, the last item today, we've had uh, several shows uh, regarding industrial robots, and uh, there is a uh, researchers from Charles University of Technology has come up with an optimization algorithm which increases pr- production and elect- electricity energy savings of up to 40%. Uh, that makes the ROI for buying a robot, almost not even something that you have to sit down and think about. Uh, You might want to look into that, and uh, that group, again, is Charles University of Technology. Uh, General Motors is involved in it as well. Uh, Tim, back to you. Thanks, Lou. Let's get into women manufacturing, and I'd like to introduce our two guests, Karen Norheim has been on our show previously. She's Executive Vice President at American Crane and Equipment Corporation, also one of our long-term advertisers on the show. They're in Douglasville, Pennsylvania. They're a recognized leader in the design and manufacture of electric overhead traveling cranes, wire rope hoists, and custom-engineered lifting equipment. They also have got uh, some other uh, heavy equipment that they uh, produce uh, for uh, nuclear plant cranes and reactor buildings and turbine cranes. Karen, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. We always enjoy having you on the show, along with Allison Graylitz, who's with us today. She is the founder and president of Women in Manufacturing, which is a national trade association focused on supporting, promoting, and inspiring women in the manufacturing sector. Now, she's also the vice president of membership and association services for the Precision Metal Forming Association, so she wears two hats. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, Allison, you can straighten us out. We have two uh, events coming up in the very near term here. One, I believe, is your summit in September, and then there's Fab Tech in November. Will you share with our audience you know, dates and places? Sure. So I think, as mentioned uh, prior, we are upcoming or soon to be holding our fifth annual Women in Manufacturing Summit, which is really our annual meeting of members. Um, This year it's being held in what we hope is not chilly Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, but it may be. I think we're we're told it's a beautiful time of year. Um, And those dates are September 23rd through the 25th. So it spans over two and a half days, and we expect about 300 women to be in attendance. Um, PMA, for the other hat that I wear, is their Vice President of Association Services and Membership. Um, we are a proud partner in the large, or one of the largest trade shows in the country, Fabtech, and that this year is being held in Chicago, Illinois, and that is November 8th through the 11th. Great. Thank you so much, Allison. Yeah, actually, uh, September 23 through 25 will be uh, real close to the Colorado Weeks in Minneapolis when all the trees are changing color, so it should be beautiful up there in nice fall weather. Uh, we Karen, so. I want to go to you. Uh, yeah, we, we really enjoy it. It's pretty up there. Karen, I want to go to you and, and because you have a very interesting story about how you got into manufacturing. So what brought you to manufacturing, and what do you think can motivate women to enter manufacturing? Um, well, so manufacturing, how did I get into it? Well, basically, I was recruited by my father to come and work for his company. But I really did not want to work for him. I was like, manufacturing, what is that? That can't possibly be fun. You know, that's not cool. I was in, um, you know, some other, another industry, and I, I 
just was like, yeah, okay, you know, I'll come work for you, but, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this, so we'll see how it goes. And, you know, I could not have been more wrong in my perception of what manufacturing was all about. Uh, it turned out to be one of the best uh, career moves uh, for me and um, one of the best decisions of my life to come and work for American Crane and Equipment Corporation. Um, I'd just come up on my 13th year anniversary. And, wow. you know, what's really exciting, yeah, I know, time flies when you're having fun. Um, <laughs> what I and why I like to so this is why I like to talk about manufacturing. So I almost could have missed out on my calling if it hadn't been for my father seeking me and sort of pulling me in to 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 try it out. And that's what I'd like to avoid for other women. You know, this is such a great um industry to work for. It can be so exciting. There's so many different facets of how you can be involved. Um there's nothing like seeing something go from concept to physical existence. You know, and I just love the complex problem solving um, that we do that really helps our customers. So my goal is to spread the word, um, you know, to have other women see see uh, myself and other successful women in the industry and, and really just promote my passion uh, for manufacturing and for engineering and to, to, to hope that that will inspire someone else. Now, Karen, I know that uh, there's some perceptions of the industry being dark, dirty, and dangerous from the uh, factory floor days. I've seen pictures of your factory floor, and they look pretty clean and shiny to me. How much of your factory is operated by computer these days? Um, Well, I would say most of our machining is all done with computer programming. Um, We do still have, you know, I call it the fine art of fitters and welders um so there is still some hands-on things especially because we we do such custom uh fabrications but i kind of view that as sort of the the art of it you know um this whole movement with makers out there and people creating things and i just am so inspired by um by our fabricators and fitters and welders and what they do um but our entire business is run via technology um the engineering is all integrated into what goes out onto the production floor so it has definitely changed the the reputation that that uh the old reputation I'll say because my hope is that we've moved to the new one um this does not reflect how much technology is really on the shop floors these days I, we certainly saw that, Lou, and I saw that at Fabtech, where most of the equipment that was on the floor, and I think somebody told us that were, there were literally millions of pounds of equipment sitting on the floor, and most everything was run by an iPad. So it was astonishing. Uh, Allison, yeah, let me go to you for a moment. Allison, let me go to you for a moment. Uh, you know, women represent half of the U.S. workforce, but they only constitute a quarter of the workforce in manufacturing. What's the disconnect? You know, I, I think, unfortunately, um, too many women don't understand the opportunities that manufacturing offers. And I think, to Karen's point, um, so many miss out on the opportunity just because they're ill-educated as to these great careers that can be had in this industry. So I think one of our biggest challenges is perception and, and better educating individuals about what modern manufacturing looks like, that it's not dark, dingy, and dangerous, but it is high-tech. It's run by automation. It has amazing opportunity to apply technical skills 
and those that are, are present day used in lots of other industries, and in particular the tech industry within the manufacturing space. So I think that perception thing is a big challenge. You know, 90% of Americans believe manufacturing is very important to economic prosperity, but if you ask them if they would um, refer in a child or a relative to a manufacturing career, many are reluctant to choose careers or to refer or to promote careers in manufacturing. So I think that's one of our biggest challenges. And while women do make up half the workforce um, and that small percentage that they make up in manufacturing, we think there's great opportunity for women to be a solution to the skills gap. Yeah, I would absolutely agree, Lou. Actually, you just took the words out of my mouth, and I was going to ask that uh, our show of last week regarding uh, recruiting, retraining, and retaining, uh, does the women workforce help in that skills and job gap uh, aspect that we are facing now and in the future? So you already answered that question. You care to go into any more detail on that? Well, I think absolutely we're a solution. I think if you look at who can fill these open positions and who has the ability to fill these open positions, we have more women um, right now graduating from four, with four-year degrees. We have more women who are interested in high-tech positions and in challenging and financially rewarding positions. So I think women um, need to be looked at as a potential source for talent and a source to fill these unfilled positions. And, and so I think what we talk to a lot with member companies and with manufacturing companies as they recruit, it's very important to to be um, responsive to this potential audience. So to have recruiters that are female, to understand what the, this female population and talented pool might be interested in a manufacturing career, and um, that's hugely important as companies are looking to fill these positions. Karen, let me ask you this. You know, one of the one of the issues that's coming up more and more with the millennials or those folks that are 18 to 30 just coming into the workforce is something called the work-life balance. You know, they don't want to grind it out in a cubicle 60, 70, 80 hours a week. They're looking for a, a more sane approach to making a living. Um, <laughs> what do you see uh, in your own operation there in terms of the work-life balance? Because I'm sure you have a lot of women in your workforce. Yeah, I mean, not as many as I would like, actually. Um, just to say something to that, you know, our applicant pool has got so few women in it, even for all of our efforts. You know, we're just not getting them in as as much as we would like because they're not applying. And that's why this reputation and, and getting this perception and what Allison has been speaking to is so important. Um, as far as the work-life balance, um, we are – we do I, I'm going to call it flex, but we don't like to use that word there. We have a very informal program where we do allow people to modify their hours to meet their needs. Um, they just have to talk with their supervisor um, to get you know to make sure that it that it fits in with their job function. Um, but we really try to be accommodating, and we're really taking a hard look at you know what else can we do? Um, what else should we be balancing? Because I think this is going to be the issue. And the thing with the millennials wanting this is that this is what women want too. Um, I just had the, the great opportunity to go to the White House um, in early August for a convening on women and business schools. 
And this convening was some of the deans from major business schools across the U.S. meeting with some of the White House staff and some people in business like myself. And they were talking about the issues of attracting women to business schools and some of the problems and what, you know, what the schools could do and then also what businesses needed to do to attract the women. And the work-life balance was a very strong component of what they were talking about. In addition, to put a little, you know, a little, you know, fire under, you know, us to to get ourselves moving. So this is a White House issue. This is a, a they have a council called the, the Council on Women and Girls. They had they came together for this particular thing to attract women. So they're talking about women in business. That means that we in manufacturing. Um, while women in business are come to us because we are businesses, every other industry out there is looking at women as part of their t- potential talent pool. We need to get out there and spread our word and have our message so that what you know we're going to be competing with other industries for these for these you know the talent between from women and also millennials. So it's very very important that we get our message out there and we make sure that people know that this is a viable option and how great that it can be to to work in our industry. Uh, last and I think to year, Karen's point, if I can, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, one of the things that we've heard at some of our past summits and through member dialogue is that many say that work-life balance is dead. Um, you know, I think the new metaphor that people are using is work-life integration. And they're using yeah. that term because because of the fact that we now have technology and smartphones and telecommuting mm-hmm. and more flex work policies that most are moving work around different dimensions of time and space. And that's become the norm for most individuals. And I think this integration is so critical because for us to keep women in the positions that they're at or to help them reach a career path to which they're advancing, we need to find ways that as they have children or have families, they have the ability to achieve flexibility. And so that's why I think, you know, the White House is making this an issue of importance. It's why our members are constantly talking about this issue of work-life integration and how can companies be more progressive in adopting flexible and alternative policies for their employees. And it's not just millennials, and it's not just women, but men alike are looking for more flexible work policies and work environments. And and so hopefully um, companies get on board and realize that finding policies that are more flexible and progressive are to other ones' benefit. And it's definitely good for your, you know, your business in general to do these things. Like, like Allison says with this integration, I mean, they talk about men. There are studies that show that if men get, are able to go and take a leave when their, you know, their child is born, like, you know, with the their their wife, or you know, whatever the situation is, that they end up being better um, and more successful in the job. And then you've got a team working together to, you know help raise a child it just it makes for a better scenario for women men everyone alike so there's a lot of benefits to to really having this um integration i like uh allison your comments towards changing it from balanced integration it's definitely for sure the way that it has turned i remember last year at uh, fabtech uh we had a representative and i don't recall her name uh from aws i don't know if you remember the name tim uh, and she was talking yep. about she was talking about welding, and uh, we got onto the topic about uh, women in welding. And I think that following Saturday, she was taking a a Girl Scout troop to a location yep. and show them and teach them about what welding is all about. And that's certainly not high tech, but there, apparently there are interests at all levels of manufacturing for females. 
So that was kind of an interesting <laughs> side That's event. excellent. Yeah. Yes, I think in speaking with her, because she was on our show at the time, uh, I talked to her about uh, Rosie the Welder, who was really in the, on the factory floor in uh, the World War II years, because all the men were overseas fighting. The women were in the factory floors building aircraft and tanks. And they said she really needs to come up with Wendy the Welder and give that a 21st century twist. So we'll see <laughs> you know, if that, that happens. You're talking to a point then, so if we go to the welder and some of the um, technical, um, you know, shop skills that we're looking for, we've got a twofold problem, right? We've got the stereotype against going for a two-year degree um, in a technical field, perhaps coming in like many of our um, many of our VPs actually came into our our organization after attending a two-year technical school and then you know went back for education or moved up the ranks. And you know we have to make sure that we make sh- that that we don't we promote that as a viable option. You know, not everyone has to do the four years. Some two years might be the right thing. You know what I mean? You get these technical schools, get into the workforce, and then you know you can be making money. A lot of places have um, if you want to continue on, if that's what you're looking for or not. You know, they have tuition reimbursement. So not only do we have to get rid of the stereotype for that, but then we also have to get rid of the stereotype for the women, you know, being in those two-year programs and doing the welding and doing the fitting and the fabricating. Because I have to tell you, I don't know. We have in our local area, I'm trying my hardest, but I don't know the last time we got an application for a female welder. I think it has something to do with nail polish. (laughs) Nail polish. Do, Do tell. Do explain. Uh, was it burst into flames under a welding torch? Yeah, something like that. Uh, Well, but see, now you're playing to the stereotype there, Lou, that we all wear nail polish. I don't wear nail polish. Now now you are a part of the problem because you're uh, assuming that (laughs) as a female that that would be an issue because it's not. Um, You know, that's if. That's exactly it. We got, and there's probably a lot of subtlety things that are just ingrained into our culture that we sort of have to kind of work towards. And you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and nor will will this sort of evolution that we need to have. Right, Sometimes. and we need to debunk those stereotypes that women can't be welders, and that uh, you know, one of the things that we've launched, Lou, and I think Carrie knows because I think we featured her as one of our folks of um, importance. But we launched a campaign a year and a half ago called hashtag Hear Her Story. And the reason was to showcase modern-day Rosie the Riveters and women that are doing welding and women that are in traditionally male positions or hold traditionally male responsibilities within manufacturing. And it's been wonderfully received. And I think it is showcasing these women that are doing things that are untraditional and highlighting different career paths to which women found their way into manufacturing and their experiences once they've gotten there. And we try to to do um, kind of a showcase within their own words. So we interview them. They share with us their experience, how they got into manufacturing, what a typical day looks like, because I think that's one of those perception and issue challenges that we have is that women don't understand what would my daylight be like, what would my job be like in manufacturing. And so the Hear Her Story campaign, I think, has done an excellent job of showcasing what a traditional day in a, a woman's life in manufacturing is like. And then through stories um, you know, that are also supplanted by pictures, we're able to really showcase this is what the facility might look like that you'd work in, and this is kind of what the job and some of the things that she'd be doing or that you could be doing would look like. And I think that's one way to combat um, that, there, that, that notion that there aren't women in welding and that there aren't modern-day Rosies, because there are. They're all over the country doing amazing things, and we hope to showcase them through this vehicle and others. 
sometimes I play to my devil's side, so I don't want to be considered a <laughs> stereotype. Uh, we forgive uh, you. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, the fact the fact is, I, I've been in uh, manufacturing for over fifty years, and uh, certainly there were almost never women uh, in the manufacturing sector way back when. And we're seeing more and more of them, and we see more and more in administration, in manufacturing applications and uh, functions. And very frankly, uh, and I hope not too many of my customers are listening, I do like, well, actually, I hope they are listening. Um, I enjoy dealing personally with a woman manager, woman purchasing agent, woman engineer. Uh, There's a sense about them that's very different than men. Um, I don't know if it's uh, organizational, organizational, mental skills, emotionality for sure, um, but I find them uh, easier to deal with and more collaborative and uh, so on. So uh, we do ourselves enjoy having women in manufacturing, and, uh, and I think that's something that uh, the old Rust Belt group in the Midwest are beginning to learn that bringing women in is definitely a serious plus for their companies. Tim? And it's yeah, good for your bottom little... line. You know, it's the sen- that sense you speak of, that yeah. sense of, of that they, you know, you, you enjoyed working with them or whatever. I mean, that is the diversity that a female perspective can bring in. And, and that perspective with whatever set of skills that she has, I mean, when you solve a problem, you don't want to have just one view on the problem. You want to have multiple views because that's how collaborative problem solving starts. The Correct. same way you wouldn't want an all-female organization or an all-male organization, right? You need to have that in there to kind of create that mix, to create that problem-solving culture that really, you know, can be a competitive advantage for a business. You know, um, I know that there's studies that show that uh, I, maybe Allison knows the actual spec a little bit better than me, but that some companies have been proven to do better because they've had uh, female members on their boards of directors. So. You know, there's there's real evidence that says that this is something to pursue. Yeah, Catalyst has done research in this area to show that um, uh, I think it was Fortune 500 companies that had diversity on their board of directors were more profitable organizations. And it's something that we speak to often because, you know, more and more companies struggle with how to get females to the top of their organizations. And so there is a business case for diversity on your boards, within your leadership teams, and within your entire organization. Hey, Allison, let me ask you, why is there difficulty getting women into managerial or upper management positions? You know, I, I think there are a few different challenges to getting women to the tops of organizations. I think one is that um, present day in a lot of organizations, there is still a, a bit of a belief that you have to work 80 million hours um, to actually elevate yourself to the next level. Um, there's often an international, uh, a broad component to kind of rising the ranks to get a senior VP position for many larger organizations. That's a requirement, which can be very tough for women who have families or who have obligations here at home or within the U.S. 
Um, I think that's one of the challenges. I, I think, too, that women don't see enough uh, key mentors within those suites. So organizations may have, and if you look online for many of the Fortune 500 companies and you look at their key executive leadership teams, you see a lot of gentlemen with white hair who are Caucasian and who aren't too diverse. And so if women don't see themselves or have female mentors or role models that they can mirror or look to as kind of a point of guidance, I think it's difficult for them to see themselves in these higher roles and responsibilities within companies. So we work a lot with helping women within our membership ranks and looking to other organizations to, to see how do we better foster mentoring networks, how do we hope to support women to rise the ranks to get from just beyond middle management or beyond hourly or beyond production to that next level and to give them tools to do that, so to help them with coaching and training as it relates to, for example, strategic planning or career road mapping or negotiation, some of these skill sets that women really need to, to vie for that bigger position. So how does the glass ceiling syndrome uh, work? Is it still in place? Is it still healthy? Or are, are there becoming major breakthroughs in that area? I mean, if I speak to myself, you know, I, I my story, I kind of was not really paying attention that I was the only female. I just, that's part of my personality type, perhaps, to be sort of, I don't mind being different in a group. But when I raised my head up and I said, oh, wow, you're right, like, okay, this is, I, you know, there definitely is a disproportionate um, here. Um, I, th- I think there are women who like me who are just, you know, ha- are, are getting there and getting to those points and sort of have just um, evolved to, to be at that spot um, without being affected by, I don't want to say affected, but without necessarily feeling any any uh, pressures from it but that's not not everyone and what we're doing what we need to do is those of us that have like Allison has said we need to get out there and have let people see us especially young people even you know we reach out to high school students um, you know I'd love to even have elementary school students just to see women role models in these in these different types of positions because we have yes we have made uh, major strides um, over the years, but there are more to be made for sure. Yeah, I would have to. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just going to have to. I wanted to support Karen, Karen's remarks that um, many women have different experiences. I think a glass ceiling still exists. I think through women supporting one another and through finding ways to empower and to train and to support women as they rise the ranks is critical. And so we hope that our organization and others that are in differing fields fields can increase that number of women that are chief executives of large companies and holding senior executive positions. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be back after uh, some words from our advertisers, including uh, American Crane, who's one of our advertisers. But we'll be back in just a few moments with Manufacturing Talk Radio as we speak with Allison Kralis and Karen Norheim. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. 
All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today. And see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we're talking about women in manufacturing. We're speaking with Allison Grayless, who's founder and president of Women in Manufacturing. She's also vice president of membership and association services of the Precision Metal Forming Association, and Karen Norheim, Executive Vice President of American Crane and Equipment Corporation out in uh, Douglasville, Pennsylvania. Uh, Karen, let me go to you for a minute. In Douglasville, Pennsylvania, you're just a little bit southeast of uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and a bit northwest uh, of Philadelphia. Um, where are you pulling your talent pool from? Is it uh, a nearby area, or, or uh, are you reaching as far as Reading or, or Philly? Well, we are we're in Berks County, um, which is uh, covers Reading, uh, Pennsylvania as well, and we are really lucky to have a very robust workforce here. Um, so we haven't we've been able to meet our needs, um, but I you know the area including there is what's called the Reading Greater Reading Economic Partnership and the the Reading Chamber of Commerce. You know they definitely have a concern, and and other manufacturers. We've all come together to discuss, you know, the the growing um, issue that's going to happen as more and more people retire. Uh, we're we're um, a little worried that we're not going to be able to maintain and find the people that that we need. So we're making efforts now to sort of to to fill that pipeline, um, which includes everything from. Um, doing local outreach to the high schools. You know, we're, we're participating in Manufacturing Day on October 3rd. They've put together Burke's Manuf- Manufacturing Day that Saturday, October 3rd, where um, students in the local area and even adult, adults as well can come and um, talk with local manufacturers about career opportunities and then get on buses to go and tour uh, several of the manufacturers in our area. So we've been lucky, but, you know, in business, uh, luck isn't enough. You need to have some hard work um, and diligence behind it, and so we are definitely making efforts to ensure that we have the workforce in the future that we will need. How do you, how uh, do you find the reception uh, uh, to uh, what you're talking about in the high schools and local area of care? Well, we have the 
for Burke's Manufacturing Day, we haven't um, had – this is the first one where we've all come together. So okay. I have to wait to tell you about that day after October 3rd. But I'm, we really, we've had people already start registering, and we're very, very excited about it. So I think that that's going to go well. But I have done outreach with Exeter High School. Uh, they have a program called Project Lead the Way that they recently implemented, um, and we have partnered with them, giving them guidance, and, and we had them for a site tour last year for, uh, in honor of Manufacturing Day. And, and it was great. They, they you know, First time I've had high school students on our campus, and, you know, I'm a little worried um, just not knowing what to expect since I don't have high school student kids and I don't have children just yet. And it turned out to be fantastic. They were they were great. They were interested. Um, they had lots of great questions. And we had the gamut from students who were interested in, say, the engineering side of things to others who were interested in the sales or in the shop floor and using the CNC machines. So the reception was really was really uh, well done, and we're doing another outreach with them in September to to discuss just um, jobs in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math uh, with other manufacturers in the area. So we're getting the voice out there, and I think I think it um, it's being heard. And actually, one other note: they have this event called uh, Spring into STEM. Um, which we participated in last spring, and we brought along our crane game, which is a it's basically a computer that's set up, and you can move uh, an overhead crane around and learn different concepts. And it was a hit. It was a hit from with students who were you know um, in elementary school through high school. So you know I think they're definitely the message is well received, and you know you never know who you're going to touch or that one that one chance for, you know, a, a, a girl, a, you know, a, whether it's female or, or a male, you know, um, just having a chance to see what you're doing and to, to spark a, a little bit of a fire of interest. I'm glad to hear you telling this story because uh, this year, uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio on uh, October 2, Manufacturing Day, we were sponsoring a uh, tour bus of uh, kids from uh, one of the uh, technical schools uh, locally to us uh, and we are going to be going to uh, NJMEP and then we're also going to be going to a manufacturing plant uh, right after that for them to see what a manufacturing plant floor looks like and it's interesting to your question uh, Tim uh, I had actually reached out to one of the uh, academic high schools and right. uh Three days later, I'm, I'm pressing them for a call back, and they left the message, we're not interested. Uh, we then did hook up with uh, uh, Passaic uh, Technical uh, Institute, and uh, they took to it like a, a duck to water. So we're looking forward to it, and this is the first time we're doing it, so uh, maybe we should compare our stories after uh, Manufacturing Day. Yeah, we can have a debrief and share notes on what works. Yeah. For yeah. our Burks right. Manufacturing Day, there's a website called Careers in Two, the number two years dot com that you can go to and, and look at. And oh, you know, great. my concern is is related to you know if if the there needs to be maybe we need to talk more about how STEM is so prevalent in, in many of the things we do in manufacturing because it's a shame that that high school is not interested in participating. It Cause it's not is. just the tech schools, you know. Um, really, um, it should be should be you know all high schools to serve their students need to to offer opportunities across the board. And um, 
hopefully we can hopefully we can change that for next year. I certainly hope so, and I'll wind up going back to them next year and say, see what you missed? <laughs> Definitely should do a, an email of we missed you and, and hear some highlights from the event. And, you know, women in manufacturing, we have participated in MFG Day since its inception, and we've had member companies participate and individuals alike, and the stories that we've heard from them directly about their interactions with students, how it's really helped them to better offer plant tours to the public because they now know, um, you know, how to use different language and what things to highlight within their facilities. Um, it, it's really been a very powerful experience for all of our members who have participated and it's mfgday.com as a website. And I think present day they have 683 sites registered. So for anyone who's listening, if you're going to do something within your local area, you should go to the website, register your site. You're then noted as one of the optional um, places to go experience MFG Day. And we, again, are going to support our uh, members participating in the event. As I remember last year, you did have at least one manufacturing plant uh, in every state. Is that true? That is true. Yeah, it was quite an event last year. I think there was over 1,500 events for 1,600 events all across the country and every province of Canada, uh, Puerto Rico. It was really uh, quite well received, and, and hopefully it will be even larger this year. Uh, Allison, to you, um, when talking about you know high schools and uh, two-year schools, is there any discussion within women in manufacturing about What's going on in terms of conversations with those schools and what kind of feedback uh, manufacturers may be getting? You know, Lou got a negative one initially. What's the outreach emphasis to try to get the schools on board? Yeah, we encourage our members, our individual members as well as our corporate members, to get engaged locally with their either two-year or four-year institutions. Um, Their tech schools can be their best partners, their best resource for finding talent. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we encourage our members to do is to really develop relationships with career counselors, with parents, um, with parents' organizations, PTAs, et cetera, even at, at the elementary school level and high school level, so that they understand and are aware of these manufacturing opportunities, um, that college isn't for other one, that two-year degrees and technical degrees are just as valuable and can be just as financially rewarding. Um, so we see MFG Day as a great vehicle for this. We hope that companies don't just rely on the singular day, but again, year-round are, are in contact and have relationships with their local technical institutions. You know, many have those, on, you know, have somebody who's serving on their board of directors. Um, you know, many employees are encouraged within manufacturing facilities to be on outreach or advisory groups with tech, technical schools, and it, it's been a win-win. They then are able to find individuals to populate their apprenticeship programs or to populate their internships, and, and ideally those candidates then transfer or are transformed into full-time employees over time. As I recall, uh, some time back, we did have a show that talked about uh, salaries and finances, which you brought up a moment or so ago, and that after a roughly a three-year uh, early start into manufacturing, a, a manufacturing individual is earning on an average of sixty dollars to $70,000 a year. Um, if that number is still accurate, there certainly isn't a uh, small change in view of the fact that it has such a negative, rea- uh, negative connotation about being in manufacturing. So I think that that's something to consider as well, that you can earn a good income, support a family, and have all the things that the American dream can afford you. 
Yeah, I think present day they're saying as of 2013, the average manufacturing worker in the U.S. earned $77,506. That includes their pay and benefits. And then the average worker in all industries earned less than that. And I think the number given is $62,546. So a manufacturing career is one that can be very financially rewarding. It's an interesting And there's jobs available. So there's lots of open jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting disparity because I know in talking with Chris Keel, who is a uh, uh, economist with uh, FMA International, uh, he mentioned that there are literally hundreds of schools out there that have degree programs in being a film critic. Mm-hmm. And I imagine after you get your four-year degree from being a film critic, uh, you've piled on a lot of student debt, and you might find a job for forty grand a year. I'm not sure that's a great trade-off. <laughs> Um, Karen, well, let me go to and you, and then, I, yeah. and then I want to go to Allison on this question. Um, the pay gap. We always hear about the pay gap between men and women. How do you, how do you overcome that? I'm assuming that it, you've overcome it in American Crane, and I want to also talk to Allison about what she might be hearing from her members. You know, is it still out there? Does it still exist? And how do we, how do we resolve it, Karen? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I know what the answer is. You know, I think I've been able to bridge that um, – due to my circumstances but i i do know that there is that when i when i was at this uh convening in um in washington they discussed how the some of the years that women take off in order that the child when they're typically going to have a child that that break um in potentially working you know can cause a problem um, in, in um, continuing to move through the the pay scale. So I, I think that there is some, you know, if we do more of this work-life integration where we're also encouraging the males to take off too, then perhaps we can sort of break these stereotypes of of pay. And, and it's it really is something that needs to be dealt with by each individual company, you know, and, and make sure that you are, are paying attention and that you're not um, – penalizing people for, for, you know, having a successful life in addition to a successful career with you. And I think a lot of it ties, well, I was going to say, I mean, I think we all know that there's still a wage gap. Um, We now have an annual equal pay day that, if people aren't aware, is typically held um, on a Tuesday, which represents how far into a week an average woman must work to match the amount earned by an average man at the end of the previous week. Um, It's celebrated in April because that's how far into a year um, a woman would need to work to achieve parity as it related to wages. Um, You know, women out-earn men in low-wage work, but still at these higher ranks uh, of uh, positions within organizations, they're still only earning 78 cents for every dollar. Um, so there's still a challenge. There's still uh, there still needs to be equity achieved, and I think education can help. I think giving women the skill set again, as I spoke to earlier, to negotiate their salary, to understand their worth. I think too often women lack confidence as it relates to understanding their ability and their potential and their acumen. Um, I think men they they overvalue often their strengths, whereas women too frequently they undervalue theirs, which is a huge challenge if you're trying to go for that higher position or that higher role or responsibility or negotiate a salary to what you really think you're worth. If you think you're not worth as much um, as maybe your male counterpart, you're not going to ask for that salary increase or ask for those certain perks or benefits. And I think that's one of the biggest challenge that, challenges that we see as, as women try to rise the ranks and, and um, get, get a larger compensation package. 
So we train women. We have courses um, that we deliver via webinar. We make it a track at our annual meeting to talk about negotiation because it's very, very important for people to own this part of their performance review and this part of their job and, their, and a component of, of how they perform. And I think, too, Allison, the more and more women we get into manufacturing, the more and more of us who move up through the ranks, we need to make sure that we're also mentoring back where we've had success for those that are coming up to make sure that they have the support um, to say, you know, to point out here's all the resources, go, you know, check these things out with the Women in Manufacturing group or here are my experiences or, you know, that, that that's really where the role model and the mentoring and, and, and we, need to, we need to make sure that they see that they can do these things. Right. And I think data is important. So that's one of the things that long-term yeah. we as an organization hope to offer women is, is salary and wage data. So that if a plant manager, for example, is going in to negotiate their salary or go in to negotiate kind of their, their benefits package and, and you know some of the components of their responsibilities, um, that they would have that information in hand to say, okay, on average, a plant manager in this size of a company should be making within this range. Um, again, giving them the information, the tools they need to be successful successful in negotiating their compensation. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I certainly agree with it. You know, I look at, at a job in any entity and what the company is willing to pay to get the job executed. And it really doesn't matter whether it's a male or a female doing the job. Uh, if either can do the role equally, then the pay ought to be equal. It's, it's the job from the employer's standpoint that he's trying to get accomplished not a male in the job versus a female in the job. Karen, in your organization, because this is something that always seems to add strength to a team, when you introduce a woman onto a team, uh, I think negotiation, consensus, productivity increases on the team. Is that your experience? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I've been tuned in to that particularly. You know, I think when I pull together people from different areas and resources. I strategically am looking for, say, one from engineering, perhaps our doc control. You know, I always try to look for a diverse team. Um, I think that if you, you know, it definitely adds to the team's success, I would think. The same way, again, if you had an all-female team versus an all-male team, I don't think they would be as successful as a collaboration of between the two. Um, I don't think you need to focus so much on it. Um, as you need to focus on just pulling together the right people. And if you're focusing, if, if you can get to that point where your your organization is pull, is looking for the right people, regardless of who they are and what, what, what their back, you know, background is or male, female, whatever, and you try to create this collaboration and problem solving that you're going to naturally, it's just going to naturally happen as part of it. But we, I mean, we do need to keep our – I say that, but then in, in retrospect, I also want to point out that we do need to keep our eyes open and just keep it in our mind that when an opportunity does come about, that we make sure that it's, you know, it, it, we consider the, the, any females for those, those teams as well. Does that make sense? Sure. Uh, Karen, I want to ask you this because it was a discussion I was having after last week's show. It has to do with human resources. You know, when you're in a manufacturing operation, as you are, and you look that we, we have this product we have to make or this new product that we have to make, and you look at resources, and you look, okay, it's got to have this much metal component to it, and it's got to have this much these sub-assemblies to it. Are you now beginning to look at, because of the skills gap, human resources and say, I need this kind of skill set in these areas in order to pull off this product development and delivery? 
Is that kind of is human resources being elevated within organizations? Absolutely. I and mean, we just recently um the the jobs are actually still open. You can go to americancrane.com and apply. Um we just recently posted um we have not in the past done formal in training, but we've identified some specific skill sets um related to engineering, um some of the the shop floor, um I think it's in I should look it up so I have it. Um machining and um I think it's also fabrication. And so we, we've identified that we need these skills. We're looking for skilled people, but we're also looking for in-training people. So we're looking for the, the younger generation to be able to bring them in and start our, start training them. And that's 100% because of us identifying the skills gap and having some uncertainty on be able, being able to fill positions without doing those kinds of things. Yeah, clearly the human resource aspect is a very important piece of production. Allison, uh, from the perspective of women in manufacturing, your upcoming su- uh, summit, what are some of the subjects that you hope to cover on the summit? We have a mix of many subjects that we address, and we've really been very responsive to our steering committee. So Karen serves on our host steering committee that helps design the program, and we also look very closely at respondent feedback that we get from each of our annual events, and we try to do a mix of different professional development sessions. We want to get women as well exposed to local manufacturing and how they operate, so we have five plant tours that are a component of the program, and then within our educational tracks, we talk on many different topics. Um, so this year we're talking about developing and embracing your leadership style. We talk about new technology and its impact on advanced manufacturing. And we've been asked by many of our members to, to for a better um, education and deep dive into what it means to be a women-owned business and what it, how do you leverage that certification once you achieve it. So we also offer a breakout session on that. We have um, two total panels that will be talking about best practices in manufacturing and um, individuals' journey as to how they got to the role and responsibility that they are at present day. Um, we have individuals also facilitating roundtable discussions, so a new component, again, to foster interactivity with the attendees at the summit, um, as well as to get lots of topics addressed within a short span of two and a half days. Um, we have about 30-plus topics that will be discussed during lunch with lead facilitators at each, and they'll be talking about things like work-life integration or family-owned businesses, um, topics like negotiation, marketing, um, many, a vast array of different topics will be talked about during those roundtable discussions. And, again, women can make new connections that can be year-round resources for them as they go back to their day job in manufacturing. Well, we have only a few uh, moments to the end of the show. And I was going to ask the question as a lead into a show in two weeks from now, which would be the Women in Manufacturing Part 2. And that was, what's the future of women in manufacturing? And I think you just took all my thunder with this uh, last response that you gave me. (laughs) It sounds as though that there is a uh, a very active and very bright uh, future uh, for those who want to uh, deeply investigate their uh, career opportunities. It seems as though that the the information is out there, and it seems as though that there's a lot of help out there to help bring along a newbie to get into um, manufacturing as a woman. I think, too, to, to just solidify what you're saying, you know, to, I always recommend manufacturing, and it's not you – know, it, 
one of the reasons is, because of why I think it's so cool, is manufacturing is such an orchestra, right? It's different people with different skills coming together to create this end product. So you have people in sales, engineering, fabricating, purchasing, accounting, information technology. You have all of these different areas that are coming together to coordinate their efforts in this exciting work environment. And in addition, it provides well-paying jobs that can be fun and rewarding. And I think that it's really just making women aware that this is a viable option and that they should definitely at least have it on their radar screen of something to look into as they're um, deciding their career paths. Well, and I think also to expand, expand upon that, the only thing I would mention is that, you know, we hope our, our organization, all of the amazing members that we represent, that once they get into manufacturing that they feel supported. So one of the things that we heard as we formed as an organization is that people were thrilled because they no longer felt alone. They no longer felt as though they didn't have a support network. And so we hope that we serve that purpose and that we're filling that need for many of these women that are all throughout the country that are, that are already presently in manufacturing positions. It's a great organization. Karen, anything else you want to add to the conversation in just a minute or so? Uh, No, I mean, the only other thing would be just to say that the the Women in Manufacturing group has been really valuable to me, and my interaction has definitely helped me to grow personally and professionally, and I would highly recommend it to anyone who's already in the industry to sort of help lead the cause. If we don't speak up and we don't, you know, we have to stop being bashful as people, as manufacturers, and we need to spread the word and get it out there, and I think that this is a, a great way for other women to get involved, especially as it relates to women in manufacturing. The good old boy network is going to get jealous here real soon. You guys are really coming together to to form some great organizations and get some great information out there that really this really has to be taken care of. Uh, we, we really need to get the workforce balance in manufacturing uh, straightened away so that we can, as a country, move forward. Just so much smarter than us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's not fair because they have a sixth sense we're still Cro-Magnon with our five. That's, that's, that's true. They have a sixth one. So. Well, I would say that we need to leverage the differences between men and women as a competitive advantage <laughs> for our businesses because we will solve problems better, and the men will appreciate the work-life integration as much as the females. If you do all these things as a business, you are just going to attract and retain your people better. It is just good. It's just good practice. You're being so politically correct, which is such a big, important thing nowadays. <laughs> that, that was well, I'm advice. not doing it to be okay. I truly believe that. I really do. I, know I truly, you do. I know you do. truly we, believe we, it. We, so. may, we may extract that as the uh, the high point of the show. Allison, anything else you want to add to this conversation before we sign off here? No, we just hope to see or see many of our listeners um, that are on today, and we encourage all women in manufacturing, either prospective or current women in manufacturing, to come join us for our summit. And as was mentioned earlier, it's September 23rd through the 25th, and our website is womeninmanufacturing.org, and all the information on the event can be found there. Terrific. We've been having a very excellent conversation with Allison Grayless, who's founder and president of Women in Manufacturing. She's also Vice President of Membership and Association Services of the Precision Metal Forming Association. And Karen Norheim, who's been a guest on our show before, Executive Vice President of American Crane. Uh, Allison and Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Tim, and Lou, it's what been have a we pleasure. Got coming up next week? Uh, good question. I think that we have Brad Holcomb. Uh, oh, good. Great. Uh, who's going to be 
who's going to be doing the report on business. And we will have a surprise guest uh, for the second half of that show. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the numbers for uh, the month of August in view of the fact that uh, uh, June and July numbers have been a little soft. Uh, and I'm being kind. Um, and yeah, I right. don't I don't think August is going to be uh, – I'm going to make a prediction, which Brad Holcomb doesn't do. Uh, it's going to still be soft, but I have, I'm real hopeful for September, October, November. So on that note, Tim, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> we certainly enjoyed the show today. I, I'm guessing that the number will be a little soft, too, and everybody's kind of pulling in their brains at the moment. But in uh, two weeks, we'll have the second half of Women in Manufacturing. In a week, we'll have Brad Holcomb. Tune in then. Thank you for listening today to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.